Good morning. There are two readings. The first can be found on page 296 in the Church Bibles. And if you stick a thumb in that one and flip through to Matthew 4, that's on page 967. In the chair in front of you, there should be a little Get Connected card. You could stick it in one of the spots. So, page 296. 1 Samuel chapter 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord gave you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well. 
Well, I have treated you badly. You've just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord gave me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now, swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, page 967. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Thank you, Chris, very much. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 24 this morning. That's page 296. So if you could find that and have it open, that would be really helpful. Let's pray, and we're going to ask God now to help him, to help us to understand his word. Uh, Father, we, uh, we cannot understand this rightly without uh, your help, and so we pray that the the spirit who inspired these words to be written would now come and help each of us in our minds and also in our hearts to understand and to put these words of yours into practice in our lives, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. So it's 1 Samuel 24. Now, do you know why it's most unwise to go to the Mediterranean on a holiday in the winter? Well, the simple answer is going to rain, okay? Uh, it, uh, the Mediterranean climate is the only climate in the world which has a winter maximum rainfall. You can go to the Mediterranean in the summer, have a gloriously sunny time, absolutely guaranteed. But in the winter, at some point, it's going to rain. That's how you define a Mediterranean climate. You see, GCSE geography is helpful after all, and uh, we know these things. Now, um, uh, and so basically, don't go to Mallorca in February. Now, um, it just doesn't get decent weather in the winter. 
Or, or another matter, uh, let's say, for instance, um, a low-fat diet. Uh, I, I was on one years ago. It's a miserable existence. Um, and I'm, I'm sure if you're, if you're on one now, it's just defined, isn't it, by uh, uh, all those nice and enjoyable things that you shouldn't really eat. In fact, you're not allowed to have. So you have a Mediterranean climate is defined uh, by, all, all, um, by not having decent weather in the winter because it's going to rain. And a low-fat diet is defined by never having anything decent to eat. Now this morning, Christianity. And we're going to define it by three things that Christianity doesn't have. Uh, And here they are. So there are three things we're thinking of this morning. Three things you don't get in the Christian life. You can see them on the uh, the back of the green order of service. Uh, We're going to see here, Christianity does not have shortcuts. Second, Christianity does not have vengeance. And third, we're going to see that Christianity does not have DIY. Do it yourself. So 1 Samuel 24. Uh, Does it really seem that those things come out of this chapter? Well, I think they do. And uh, we'll see here the story, the account, what's going on is that King Saul is chasing David. David's got about 600 men with him, okay? And Saul is chasing him. He's probably, I'm no psychiatrist, but it seems to me he's a paranoid schizophrenic if if that condition still exists in that phrasing. Um, And in his bad moments, he wants to kill David. Uh, In his good moments, he thinks that David is wonderful. And at the moment, he's he's having a bad day. Okay, and he wants to kill David. Uh, and so, uh, as he's doing this, um, Big Saul goes off to a cave to relieve himself. And David, it must have been a big cave, because David and his men, 600 of them, and one with David, are at the back of the cave hiding. And uh, David's men say, here's your chance, take him out. And David creeps forward, and he just cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. You don't know whether Saul was still wearing it at the time or whether he'd just taken it off so to avoid the splashes or whatever. Um, but anyway, uh, then, uh, and David then immediately, verses 5 to 7 there, he's conscience-stricken by what he's done. This is God's anointed. He's just cut off the corner of his robe. Uh, now, we'll come back to a little bit in a little bit later on to explain why David is so conscience-stricken. And then as Saul is on the way out, David went out after him and he calls after him. And he tells Saul what has happened. And he said, Saul, I could have killed you here. I could have taken you out. But I mean you no harm. And in Saul's response, say verse 17 there, uh, just towards the end of the passage, Saul says to David, you are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. And in verse 20 there, he recognizes that David is the coming king. David has been anointed as king. He is just waiting his time now. And then at the end, uh, verse 22, right at the end of the chapter there, so David gave, gave his oath to Saul, and Saul returned home. But David still doesn't trust Saul, and his men went up to the stronghold where they would be protected when Saul had another bad day next time round. Well, what are we supposed to learn? I think here there are three things you don't get in the Christian life. And the first one is this. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. David has been anointed. He will be king. Uh, But is there a shortcut to being the king? Well, actually, you could say, well, David, you've been presented with a shortcut now. The current king is there. You've been told you're going to be the king. You can creep up and you can take him out while he's relieving himself in the cave. You can be king right away. But David believes firmly that that is wrong. 
His men urge him, verse 4, his men urge him to go and kill Saul. And, uh, and it's very important in verses 5 to 7. David wouldn't do that, and he wouldn't allow his men to do it. And when you look at verse 7 here, in the original, written in Hebrew original, this was, and in the original, it says here, David tore apart his men for even suggesting that he could have taken out uh, the king. Uh, I suppose we would say, uh, he laid into them, or perhaps more literally, he tore them off a strip, would be perhaps a literal translation for us. So he's got the opportunity to take a shortcut, and he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to wait and be patient. No shortcuts. Now, we're very familiar with shortcuts, aren't we? You look, have a look at your computer on, the, on your home screen, whatever it's called. There are shortcuts there, aren't there? You know, click and it opens up your program or your app. Uh, when we're driving, we all like shortcuts, don't we? Uh, I used to like the one down here. Actually, it's a few years back now, isn't it? You could, when you could drive up Parkview Road and then along uh, past the Corals Car Park and avoid the traffic lights at the Hove Park Tavern. Traffic lights are always red, aren't they? So it's good to avoid them. And, uh, uh, and we all have a, a few routes ourselves, don't we? Individual routes we've worked out, the best route to get down to the seafront, avoiding the traffic lights, which are still red and so on. We like shortcuts. They're attractive. And David here is refusing to take a very attractive shortcut to be the king, to have the glory, um, a shortcut to the throne. And in refusing to take that shortcut, actually what he's doing is he's pointing us to Jesus. Now, uh, in that reading from uh, Matthew chapter 4, especially with the third temptation that Jesus faced, what we see there is Jesus refusing a shortcut to glory and the throne of heaven. He's saying, no, I will not do that. Tempted by the devil to take shortcuts which would have brought temporary relief but also just temporary glory. But it wouldn't have solved the greatest problem in the world which is your sin and mine. You see, Christianity has no shortcuts. Our saviour took no shortcuts. His, his route to glory was to go to glory through the cross of Christ and that extraordinarily uh, awful time as he died for our sin. But you look at David here. And uh, this tearing of the robe, it's, uh, it's significant. The robe is a sign of being the king. And a few chapters before, back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 27-28, Saul and Samuel have a meeting. And as Saul turns to leave, he's wearing his robe, and he catches the hem of his robe, and it tears as he's leaving this meeting with Samuel. And Samuel says, in 1 Samuel 15-28, says this, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbours, to one better than you. One better than you? Actually, that's what Saul said to David in 1 Samuel 24. You're better than me. And the tearing or the cutting of a robe is, is signifying, it's significant, and it says, Saul, your days are limited. The kingdom is going to be taken from you and given to David. But David is still saying there are no shortcuts to being this new king. God's will must be achieved in God's way. That's what he's saying here. God's ends by God's means. 
And God's way has no shortcuts. God's way is suffering, then glory. God's way is service and sacrifice and then salvation. Here, David has got about 20 odd chapters in 1 Samuel before he becomes the king. And much of that, for much of that time, he's on the run. He could have taken the kingship now, but it was just simply would be a wrong thing to do to lay a finger on God's anointed, even to cut the corner of his robe. That's why he was so conscience-stricken in verses 5 to 8 here. So he's not going to kill him. And then after Saul goes home, David disappears into the hills and the valleys and the precipices of Engedi, the stronghold. Jesus is the same. Suffering and then glory. No shortcuts. Suffering, of course, on the cross, the intense, the physical agony, the spiritual abandonment by his father, suffering the wrath of God in our place. But now, now, glory at the right hand of the Father in heaven, but no shortcuts for Jesus, and no shortcuts for us, and no shortcuts in this Christian life for us. What awaits us here in our lives together now? will be things like um, disappointment, disaster, suffering, frustration, but gradual sanctification, being made more holy as we become more like Jesus. And you know, that process of becoming holy, there are no shortcuts in that. It's God's work throughout our lives. We're not going to be holy tomorrow. There is no shortcut to holiness. There are no shortcuts in the Christian life. For instance, that is why we really ought to treasure older people. Because generally speaking, the longer that God has been at work in someone's life, uh, the more the Spirit has been changing them to become more like Jesus. So we want to value and thank God for older folks. Talking of older people, on Winston Churchill's 75th birthday, a photographer said to him, uh, I hope, sir, that I will, um, uh, I will shoot your picture on your 100th birthday. To which Churchill answered, I don't see why not, young man. You look reasonably fit and healthy. <laughs> but the real point is this I want to make, and I love this little ditty. May I grow lovely growing old. So many fine things do. Silver, ivory, and gold, and silks need not be new. And there is healing in old trees, old streets a glamour hold. Why may not I, as well as these, grow lovely growing old? And you know, I think that's true for Christian people. We need to be the people, as God works in our lives millimetre by millimetre, helping us and enabling us to grow in holiness, that we should be growing lovely, growing old. And as we do that, that means across the church family, it means younger guys, let's spend time with the older ones. Let's get to know them. Let's go and visit them. Let's talk to them over coffee. Because it can only be a huge benefit to us. But you see, there are no shortcuts in the Christian life. No shortcuts. But there is great joy 
and great Christian growing lovely as God works in our lives, as we become more like Jesus, as we spend a lifetime in sacrificial service. If you're 40, say, it could well be you've got another, say, 40 or 50 years, if Jesus doesn't return, of millimeter by millimeter growing more like Jesus. Being criticized for doing so, quite possibly, but wanting to be involved in the sacrificial service of others and maybe being persecuted for standing up for what the Bible says. We're in this for the long haul. There are not necessarily shortcuts. There aren't shortcuts. They're becoming more like Jesus. There are no shortcuts in the Christian life. That's the first thing we don't get in the Christian life. Second thing we don't get in the Christian life is vengeance. Now David here has great self-control in the cave. Look at verse 4 there. Um, and uh, you think that you know, Saul here, he's been repeatedly trying to, to kill David. And what an opportunity to end it all, to get your own back, to get revenge on this paranoid schizophrenic king who has, who you know, he's tried to kill David, pin him to the wall with his spear, at least a couple of times that's recorded here, and you're his number one enemy. And David doesn't do anything. He doesn't, he doesn't put the knife in his back. Now why? Because vengeance is God's. You look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, it says this, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So it's not up to us, it is God's job. But it's hugely tempting, isn't it, to try and take matters into our own hands. You've been wronged? Or perhaps worse still, if one of your kids has been wronged? So your daughter's been betrayed by a husband, or your son's been knocked off his bike by a, a driver who wasn't paying enough care? Well, I'd like to think I'd forgive and leave it to God, but would I? How about here? How about here? That, about right here now, right here, right now. That person on the other side of the church who's been saying stuff about you that isn't true, and it hurts, and what are you going to do about it? Is it weak just to leave it to God? Actually, I don't think it is. Very often the strong thing is to say, well, actually, I'm going to leave that be, I'm going to pray that God would give me the self-control, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit, by the way. You're the sort of person who always has to have the last word. Do people say about you, oh, he always has to be right? I think that's a form of vengeance, actually. Getting your own back, proving you're right all along, and that they're wrong. And that's not a great Christian thing, is it? Something we need to stop doing? See, our vindication probably won't be in this life, and that's okay. We leave it to the Lord. Uh, but there is a question here, and it's this. Why does David follow Saul out of the cave? And why does he call out to him in verses 8 to 15? Why doesn't he just let him go? Christian people... Um, Many, many times it's uh, best to keep our mouths shut, to hold your counsel, not to bite back. You think of Jesus and his trials before his execution. He was silent, wasn't he? But there are times when I think we do need to stand up and we do need to make our points. And I think David here is wanting to tell Saul, you know I could have taken your life. Saul, I'm not a threat to you. 
I want to make that point. But clearly he doesn't trust Saul here. And is why they went off to the, uh, uh, the stronghold at the end of the chapter. Uh, David's not going to take that shortcut to kingship. But he says, Saul, you're safe with me. And also, look at verse 13. David reveals Saul's sin in the hope that his ways will change. But I think Saul was mentally ill. He needs help. But the point is made. And vengeance is God's. It doesn't mean to say that we always have to be the totally passive recipients of everything that happens to us. But there's no revenge for us as God's people. However, there are times when it might be right just to point out the sin and point out our position. So three things you don't get in the Christian life. No shortcuts, no revenge. And third one here is um, no DIY. Now, when we were uh, newly married, we lived in a council flat in Leighton Buzzard in Bedfordshire. And uh, soon after we moved in, as a newly married couple, I put some shelves up for all of Anna's medical textbooks. Anna was delighted with this, and she then just proceeded to put all her medical textbooks on uh, the shelves. And the last one of all was, of course, as a medical student, Grey's Anatomy. So Anna popped Grey's Anatomy here, this very book, um, on, the, on the shelves, at which point they all came crashing off the wall. <laughs> Now, I, uh, I have to say, I have, learned, I have learned a little bit more about putting up shelves, but I think the best advice really is just simply buy a bookcase. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, but no DIY. The Christian life, you never, ever get DIY. DIY salvation? Nope, never. This Christianity is no DIY religion. David knows he's going to be king. He's waiting on God. He's waiting for the day. And he won't do it himself. Why is that? Because the kingship is the gift of God to David. He knows it's coming. You look at the end of the chapter here, uh, verses 21, 22. He knows it's coming. Saul knows it's coming. But he's not going to do anything in order to make it happen. No way. DIY happen? Impossible. DIY kingship? No. DIY salvation? Don't even think about it. It's in God's hands, okay? Our salvation is God's initiative. It's God's hands. It's God's idea in the first place. Salvation is God's from beginning to end, and we are simply the grateful recipients of this. And yet we do feel we need to do something about it, don't we? Most of the time we feel we've got to contribute something. We've got to do something. We've got to, in order to, to you know, to, to earn it in some kind of way. Let me tell you about my dad. My dad taught me about the oily rag, the value of the oily rag, okay? And uh, uh, so uh, whenever in the garden, whenever he'd use anything in the garden, whether it's uh, uh, the shears or secateurs or the lawnmower or an axe or whatever, uh, he would always wipe it with an, uh, an oily rag. And uh, I've still got a number of his tools, and they've lasted for years, many, many years. And my dad would hang up his oily rag in the garage over an old bit of clothesline there, and it was there to wipe the tools with. I don't have a bit of oily, uh, no, I don't have the clothesline, but I have a plant pot, okay, that I put my oily rag in. Now then, Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, says this. It says that all our attempts to do DIY salvation 
by coming to church and thinking that's going to help us to get to heaven. Coming to church is a good thing, by the way, but it doesn't earn us spiritual brownie points. And all our attempts to earn our salvation by, I know, helping in the night shelter on Thursday. That's a good thing to do. Do come along. Don't resign, okay? Don't resign from the team. Keep coming and helping. That's a good thing to do. But don't think that it's going to kind of earn your way to heaven through that. Or, uh, you know, when we pray with our kids, and I've managed to do it four times this week or something, you think, and that's a, that's a great thing, and God's surely going to uh, bless me as a result. Well, the Bible says, if we think any of our righteous acts earn you a place in heaven, then it is an oily rag. That's how the Bible describes it. All our attempts to earn our way to heaven is an oily rag. Because heaven, because salvation is a gift from God. That is all. That is wonderfully all. And just like David's kingship was a gift from God, it's all God's grace. There's nothing we can do to contribute. Just accept it and say thank you. That's what David is doing here with the kingship. He's waiting because it's the gift of God. There's some, someone said, grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. That's what Christianity is about. Everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Now tell me, if you had the best craftsman in the world coming to put up your shelves, why on earth would you think that you could help out you would just say thank you and accept it graciously, wouldn't you? Three things we don't get in the Christian life. Shortcuts, vengeance, DIY. If you want to find out more, at the moment we've got uh, three. We're just about to start a fourth Life Explored course. If you want to know more about life and more about this Christian faith, then do come and see me or see Tim afterwards. Because uh, we're going to start more Life Explored courses. And uh, we, I started one just last uh, Thursday. Uh, and uh, great fun. Really good fun. And uh, uh, so do, um, uh, do have a word of this if you'd like to find out more. Three things you don't get in the Christian life. Shortcuts. Vengeance. And you never get a bit of DIY. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for David, for king-to-be David. Lord, thank you you recognize that there was no shortcut to the kingship, and thank you that is just something we find running through the Bible. And there are no shortcuts in the Christian life. Thank you, Lord, for the way you work in our older folks and our lives, throughout our whole lives, molding us to be more like Jesus. Thank you, Lord, there was no vengeance in David's heart. And there was no wanting to do it himself. But rather he waited and trusted you. And Lord, thank you that our faith is not a DIY faith, 
It is all simply relying and trusting in you for all that you have done for us. We praise you, Lord, for your wonderful gift of life in our Lord Jesus. Amen.